your natural sort of optimism, I think, is is outshining my I'm a my real, darkness. A realistic optimist is what I like to say, though. I don't know what that is, <laughs> but I'm all in favor of it. Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Human Element, Kara's podcast on modern marketing. And I am so excited today to have Lindsay Stein, the editor of Campaign US, joining us here in the middle of Midtown. How are you? I'm great. So let's jump in a little bit. Although before we do, I have a couple sort of biographical things I want to cover. Is that all right? Let's do it. All right. In your Twitter profile, which of course is all anybody cares about, right? That is the the real meat and potatoes of who we are. (laughs) (laughs) Don't forget Instagram. You have Jersey Girl on there, I believe. Where in Jersey are you from? So I'm from Hackettstown, New Jersey. Sure, Mars. Oh, yeah, okay. I was going to say the only reason you'd know it is if you worked for Mars. It's literally behind where I grew up. It smells like chocolate still. There are big M&Ms out there. So tell us a little bit about your role. It's been almost a year, right? It's been a little over a year. To the day, practically. Yeah, yeah, April 2nd was a year. Awesome. Yeah, it's it's been a wonderful, amazing ride. I couldn't be happier. When I took this, it was definitely a little scary. Mm. Um, I came from Adage. Obviously, they're competitors. Frenemies, we would say. So Campaign's Heritage, we're 50 years old. We're in eight markets around the world. So from that standpoint, I have a really great backing. But here, they haven't really gotten it right. So my job was to figure out how to differentiate it from competitors, figure out the pillars I wanted to focus on. And the growth has been incredible. Our viewership has gone up. Like All the money we're making, we're making money, which is important. And our events have been fantastic, our award shows. So I'm having an awesome time. That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's really, uh, origin the brand is the UK. Mm-hmm. That's um, right, London, yeah. And still really the dominant publication in the UK, I would say. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And Hong Kong is the, probably the second biggest. Like if you go Got to it. Asia, Campaign Asia is all over. What made you decide originally to become a reporter and then an editor in this space, in the advertising and marketing space? I would say it's one of those things you kind of fall into. When I graduated from Syracuse, I went to Newhouse. I wanted to be the next Aaron Andrews. That was pretty much my okay, goal at the time. It. So I started covering local sports in New Jersey. Um, I actually did it in Montclair. I covered high school basketball and middle school basketball sure. and football, all the night games. It was super fun. One of my friends was working in advertising and was doing a shoot for Jose Cuervo. And I was like 22 or 23. And he's like, do you want to come? You could be an extra. You could drink tequila during the shoot. You, you I can't said, turn that great. down. Yeah, why not? <laughs> um, so at the time, I met Jonah Bloom, who used to be an editor at PR Week. And he's yep. also an editor at Ad Age. Yep. Then he was at KBS at that point. And he said, oh, let me read some of your articles. Then he said, there's an opening at PR Week. I had no idea what to expect. But he's like, you'll still cover sports in a way. You can interview the CMO of the NBA and the CMO of <laughs> the NHL. It's adjacent. So, yeah, so that's how I started. I went, into, went to PR Week. I covered marketing at PR Week for five years. Just learned to love that. And from covering that, I went to Ad Age and covered agencies and then jumped over here. So let's dive into the agency word. It is never a dull business. I have a personal theory that we actually occupy a disproportionate amount of mind share in the business community than we actually should based on sheer size. But it, that's one of the things about the industry that I think is interesting. At any given weekend, I'm at a cocktail party or at an event with friends or whatever, and they're interested in the space. They don't have anything to do with it, but they're interested in the space, and that, that always strikes me. Clearly, we're at a, I don't know, we're, we're in our seventh or eighth or ninth or tenth year of ongoing rolling transformation. Where, where are we in this as an agency business? Let's start with the holding companies in particular. Oh, man, that's a big question. The holding companies, 
as you've seen, a lot of them are doing consolidations. Yeah. Um, you're seeing WPP do that. Um, I think that it comes down to a few different things. I think you had some really old legacy brands that just weren't delivering. They were kind of these old dinosaurs, so to speak. And the, by doing that, they get rid of some overhead, which is sad. You're definitely seeing some cuts along the board in terms sure. of employee. Then you have Publicis doing a similar thing with their Power of One. You have IPGs pretty much doing their own thing separately, McCann. And and not that I'm saying this because I'm at a Dentsu Aegis network agency, but I would say that a lot of consultants are talking about the Dan model. Yep. What differentiates Dan is the fact that they've made very smart acquisitions. Um, they haven't acquired two of the same agencies over time. I think that is a differentiator, and that's why people are looking at that. I think every holding company is trying to get that kind of also the data side. Yep. So you have IPG with Axiom. Yep. Um, you guys have Merkle, which yep. was a big thing. I think it's actually one of the reasons why other holding companies are trying to figure that out. And then you have ones that are just keeping the, to kind of their pure play. I mean, MDC is mainly creative. I know they have other things, but I would say they're going to stay on their creative path. For sure. And changes there too. Yep. But I do think this is a great opportunity for mid-size and small agencies. I've seen a lot yep. of clients going more and more towards them because they are... They're more affordable. They're faster. Yep. They don't have to answer to you know certain margins that are put by the holding company. Question for you, you know, and we've talked a lot about this on this pod and in some other conversations here. Sir Martin leaves WPP for better or for worse, and I think mostly for better. Sir Martin was the voice of the industry, right? He was without a doubt the person with the largest kind of share of voice in terms of defending the industry, commenting on the industry, etc. I think the industry has suffered a bit since his sort of departure from that featured role. I want to get your opinion on A, whether you agree with that, and B, what should happen as a result? I mean, what, what should we be doing as either agencies or holding companies or the four A's? It was a little bit of a topic from stage uh, at Decisions a couple weeks ago. What should we be doing on that front? It's funny. I don't know if I necessarily agree that he was the biggest voice. I mean, I, as a journalist, I know we covered him a lot because he's very opinionated. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I mean, I think it's it's an opportunity for other people to speak up. And I mean, I know Nick Bryan spoke up a lot at the forays when he was there at Decisions 2020, and that was great. He did. If given, you know, the microphone, given the megaphone, a lot of other people would do the same thing. They just. Maybe they're afraid to. I don't, you're right that he was never afraid to do that. Never. Mark Reed is a little, a little more behind the scenes yes. with that type of stuff. Um, Artur, I think, is very, very much focused on client work. Yeah. John Wren's never been like a mouthpiece. Michael Roth does a good job uh, getting yes. out there, especially around diversity and inclusion. I would say, if it's if anything, it's an opportunity for someone else to step up and maybe do that, or maybe for the journalists in this industry to also have more of a voice. Oh, that's an interesting perspective. Uh, what are the implications of that? Well, I know, like, personally, I've been trying to write more op-eds or columns about things that I'm seeing in the industry. So I wrote one about um, why marketers should give their agencies credit. Mm. Industry is only as good as its trade. So I think that the trade should be, like, pushing the industry forward, uh, helping to elevate it, trying to make change. So maybe client, like maybe agencies are too scared to call out their clients, to call out their marketers, or vice versa. Maybe marketers are afraid to talk to their agencies, so the journalists can be the one to bring up issues that they're seeing, be the authority. The ANA is a representation of the marketing side of the business, and the 4As is a representation of the agency side of the business. How would you describe the relationship between those two things? 
I think it would be really beneficial for them to work together more, both trade organizations, just to bring it there. I know in London, the marketing society is a little bigger. They're trying to launch yep. here. And that is something that brings together the agencies and the, the brands and the marketers. I think that would be just great to do that. I know the agencies want, they want to learn a little more from the forays. They want the forays to be a little more front and center to push the envelope a little bit. The agencies also want to get in front of the ANA because they want to be where the marketers are. Yeah. I think there has to be some way to kind of bridge. I know there's always been a rift between the two of them. Uh, I think they need to just work together. I mean, we're all in this together, right? When it comes down to it, everyone's trying to make money, right? Marketers want to make money. It all comes down to the bottom line. The agencies need to make money. They have to do it together. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. I mean, the reality is being a CMO is not an easy job. Ten years are difficult. Um, you know, the asks that come from the board and the CEO are difficult. And I think we'd all be better served if we could get more alignment between the challenges of transformation in the agency business and the challenges of transformation in the individual CMO organizations. I think at the best client relationships that's happening, but it's not happening, I think, at scale or frequently enough, I guess, from my particular uh, perspective. What are some of the implications as we look at trust and transparency issues for brands and for agencies through the balance of the rest of this year into, you know, again, the United States, a, a significant election year next year. What's your perspective on the state of that whole space? Yeah, I remember, was it, like, was it a year or two ago when it was around like that media audits and maybe a couple of years ago yeah. when the, that report came out too. So I think there's more trust, maybe that's just an optimistic view of it, between <laughs> between the clients and the agencies in a way since that report. I think there are definitely still some trust issues. But I think right now the bigger focus has been on third-party data collection yeah. and more kind of focus on the consumer. And that is somewhere where the brands and the agencies and the platforms do have to work together. Because you have, uh, I forgot the name of the coalition, but there's a coalition going up um, and agencies are involved in it. Hmm. Like Media Math, I know, is part of it and a few others that are going up to Congress and trying to figure out the best way to get data collection, but also, you know, adhere to what consumers want. Because consumers want brands and their platforms to know them, but they also want to feel safe. So that is, I think, going to be the biggest part of the trust and transparency conversation. If anything, maybe it'll help bring everyone together a bit. I think there may be an opportunity for agencies to take a greater advocacy role, especially because, let's be honest, the digital platforms, the big digital platforms, have not, right? I mean, they really haven't. So that gap means brands have to. And I think brands need help from agency partners to do that as well. And that the two of them together in partnership can maybe help drive a bit more accountability on the platform side in an ideal world. Do you think we'll see legislation anytime soon around the platform players uh, and data and privacy a la GDPR in, in Europe? Do you think we'll see anything like that anytime soon in the U.S.? I mean, I think all of that moves pretty slowly, right? I mean, I mean, <laughs> it moves maybe. especially slowly when nobody can agree on anything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, California's been pushing, right? Yes. They already signed um, something. I could see something happening before the end of the year. I think at the state level, maybe. I, I, yeah, not yeah, federal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the coalition that I'm talking about, I'm blanking on the name. That's specifically they're trying to go to Congress to figure out a federal legislation, something that everyone can agree on. Right. Obviously, you know, big news last week with Accenture's acquisition of Droga. Do you have a perspective on that and what are the implications for consultancies? Let's start there, the other major consultancies, and then agencies as well. I thought it was a great move for Accenture Interactive because what they've been missing is that creative execution. Uh, Kamarama is really good, but Droga is like, you know, proven 
yeah. powerhouse of creativity. What I found the most interesting was uh, the CEO, Brian Whipple, and I have talked about this uh, over the couple, like, last couple of years. He said that there, it was eventually going to be all one extension interactive. So when we interviewed him following the news, he said, but the name Drogue is so good, we're not going to get rid of it. I'm curious if that means that the other agencies are going to keep their name or what's going to go on from there, because that seems like it would cause a riff. Because creative <laughs> agencies are not precious about their branding. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's take a bet right now. Do you think they will try to create a global network behind Droga, integrating the other shops? Because they've, they've acquired lots and lots of smaller shops in different regions around the world. Yep. Do you think that's the idea? I don't think they're going to fold like Kamarama or um, the one that they acquired in Australia. I don't think they're going to fold them into Droga. I think that, if anything, they would still just be part of Accenture Interactive. So one of the interesting things about acquisitions is, or even with, like, let's say, Heat with Deloitte. Yeah. Heat's won some business recently. I think they yes. won Wild Turkey. But a lot of times we don't see follow-through with that. We're like, mm. what work did they create? What campaign are they coming out with? So to me, what I'm going to be keeping an eye on is, is Droga going to create some really cool stuff soon? Or like, what's the work that's yeah. going to come out of what this? What is the output? Yeah. And why is that, do you think? Do you think consultancies are bad at having worked at one as of just six months ago. Do you think they're bad at merchandising? Do you think it gets rolled up into the broader relationship, right? So if you're at IBM and you're working on the American Express Company, which is a you know multi-hundred million dollar piece of business for big IBM, everybody's like, uh, you know, and that million and a half dollar experience project, we'll get to that, you know. We'll talk about that later. Is that part of it or, or, or what is it? You know, the consultancies have this legacy, like enterprise knowledge of brands. So if you're like Ford or Walmart or Toyota, they can come in and be like, we understand your your business from like a really deep business standpoint. Yep. Oh, and by the way, we acquired We heat. got this little and thing. Yeah, we're like, yeah. So we have the creative if you want it. So I can see that being like a draw, but then I don't know how much they actually tap into that creative. Yeah. So when you talk to Brian Whipple, like, like back in the day, he'd say, oh, I don't care about making a big Super Bowl spot. That's not what we're about. Right. So if now, next year, we see Droga create some really kick-ass Super Bowl spot, it'll be interesting to see them kind of playing more into the advertising space, the traditional advertising space. No offense to Brian. I, I don't know him, and I work for a competitor, so I, I don't mean this as biased as it sounds, but you don't care about making a Super Bowl spot until you have the capability to make one. Right. No, it's true. Yeah. I'm sure now that's going to be something that's on their radar, right? Or winning those can lines that are more than just data or right. effectiveness, right? Like right. Expanding their actual reputation for creativity. Yeah. Let's shift gears to the measurement side of the business. Obviously, both Comscore and Nielsen have had bumpy rides, even significant newsworthy bumpy rides in the past couple of weeks. From my understanding, Nielsen is looking for an exit, right? They're looking for some kind of acquisition. Obviously, the situation at Comscore post the departure of Brian and, and Sarah is challenging. Is I mean, I, I can't imagine it's anything other than that. Yeah, they're under investigation too, so that's a whole... <laughs> Which can thing. be problematic. <laughs> is the, the dedicated measurement entity in our business, what's the future of that? Is that something that needs to be owned by a different kind of organization and brought to a different level of scale? Is it? A, I mean, it seems like both of them are struggling from a, A, they're struggling to do the work of cross-device, cross-channel right. measurement, and B, they continue to sort of struggle in the lanes that they've established as independent entities. That's another place I think there's an opportunity for someone else to come in. Nielsen yeah. has been struggling a bit, and Comscore right now is being investigated, and we do need measurement, right? And it can't be done by the holding. It now could more be done by ever. the holding companies, but it needs to be. Yeah, that'd be a little bit biased, right? We need. It's a little bit of the fox in the hen house. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Mergers. We talked about this briefly earlier. 
Can they be successful? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I mean, I think Mullen Lowe has proved that in the past two years. And right. Lowe struggled to find a partner for, for like two and a half oh, yes. decades. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think Mullen Lowe has really shown like. Scally, Lowe. Oh uh, um, I don't remember all the other Lowe ones. Lowe Lintas. Like it, it was a long time. Yeah. But yeah. no, I think, it, I think it was the past two and a half years, maybe even longer. Was it about two and a half years for Mullen Lowe? They've done an incredible job, and yeah. Alex has been leading a great team there, and I think their Media Hub offering shows that. It's just there's a lot of synergy between those two, so that's mm. a nice marriage. All right, you gave me a good example. That's good. I won't okay. give you a hard time. Havas did a, a brand study a couple months ago, which I think you had posted or shared on Twitter, and the key fact in it was this idea that customers effectively didn't care if 77% of the brands they had relationships with died or went away. Isn't that a pretty damning... <laughs> commentary on the work that we do or the work yeah. that I do. You're, you're sort of just observing the work that gets done. I'm actually in it. <laughs> but I'm still a consumer. Um, and I, I was pretty shocked about that as well. I think what they're trying to tap into is brand loyalty. Hmm. Because, you know, today a lot of people will go on Amazon and they'll buy the cheapest brand of whatever it is. I don't necessarily believe 100% that. I think there are still a lot of brand loyalists. Like I'll always use Tide, for example, because that's what I grew up using. There's also so many new brands. Someone gave me a stat yesterday, something like there are 12,000 jewelry brands that have been launched in the past year, like little tiny, even if it's like wow. a one person. Right. But how many of those are going to succeed or thrive? But maybe just because there's just so much, there's just a million different things that people can look at. Where do you think the industry has made progress, if we have? And where do we still have to go on the diversity inclusion issue? I do think there has been progress. Um, and I think... Well, I know that being the editor of Campaign in the U.S., that's one of my pillars. I had four pillars that I wanted to focus on. So one was diversity and inclusion. The other one was creativity because that's something we've been built on for the past 50 years. Another one was brand purpose. And the last one was ageism. I know ageism seems like it should be part of diversity and inclusion. It should, but that's just breaking it apart there. As an old person, I, I, I'm glad that, that ageism <laughs> is its own bucket. It makes me feel better. Um, I, I mean, the one thing is, though, you look around and all of the holding companies are still run by old or middle-aged white men. Even you know the new CEO of MDC, Mark, and I've known Mark for a long time. He's great. But the point is, they're still being run It's by the same type of person. Yeah. Um, so that needs to change still eventually. And you walk into a lot of these conferences and you know, even at the 4Es, you look around and it's just... A, sea of white people still. It's nice to see organizations like Ad Color making a big difference there mm. and tapping into that and bringing all different brands and agencies together. I am seeing agencies come to me and brands come to me saying, we want to elevate this woman on our team. Or if I go to a CEO for a quote and it's a white man, he'll be like, actually, you know, I'd really like to have my CMO do this or whatever. Um, I'm also seeing more brands focused on that. I know Diego at Verizon has um, some research that he said is proven to show that like, he's focused on diversity for all of his agencies and, and internally, and it's helped with numbers. You've seen Antonio Lucio do that when he was at HP. So I'm seeing that there is improvement. There definitely needs to be things that ch need to change. And on the ageism side, I think people aren't talking about that. Of your other two, what's your perspective on the state of creativity in the business right, in, right now? Right, So you can kind of look back and say that there were quote-unquote golden periods of creativity throughout the industry's lifetime. Are we in a valley? Are we in a trough? Are we on the way up a mountain? I think this year is going to be the year of the return of the big idea. 
And this could be a teaser, actually, but I'm writing uh, a piece for Can for the Can Can Lines magazine that'll come out obviously yep. in Can, and the piece is going to be about that. I think this is the new golden age of advertising in a lot of ways, and I think that we're going to see agencies pushing brands and brands pushing agencies, and we're going to see some big ideas come back this year. So, are you actually breaking news on our humble little pod? <laughs> It's not breaking news, but it is, uh, you know, I'm excited for everyone to see it when it comes out. Lindsay, could you please just entertain me? <laughs> I, I'm going to call yes, this. Yes, okay. No, yes, this is uh, the first time I've spoken about it. <laughs> so that's breaking news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you just made my whole day. Um, brand purpose. You participated in in a conference a couple of weeks ago around this topic. Actually, um, we launched our first Power Purpose Awards. Yeah. And uh, we picked the top 20 pieces um, that showed the most purpose or value-driven work. And we had a panel of judges that was, they were incredible, and the work was amazing. It and looked pretty cool. Year two will be even better. I'm very excited. We're in a unique situation for brands in the United States at the moment, right? So for a long time, American brands came to the table, and they had a set of what I call a priori or pre-established attributes because they were American brands. So they had a lot of shorthand that they could use and they didn't have to dive into a lot of places because they were an American brand and some of those things came with them. So opportunity and freedom and belief in equality, just things that were part of the American brand got sort of attached to brands in the U.S. As we've gone through sort of the chaos of the past two and a half, three years as a country and some of what we believe to be foundationally American is in some quarters questioned or has been questioned. And for legitimate reasons, that has changed the business of branding. And you see that in things that are as obvious as the Nike work, but in lots of other places too. What are the implications of that? And do you think that agencies and brands are doing enough to be vocal about those things that they believe in and, and, and really identifying that for people? Because now more than ever, there's a real need to be clear on those things. I think we do need brands to be more vocal. I know it's hard. You don't it doesn't always have to be a political stance. You know, no. you, you you don't like Ben and Jerry's no. is very clear with its purpose and it's done, you know, kind of an anti-Trump ice cream and all of that. Right. And you could go as far as that. That's, you know, that's great too if you want to do that. But I do think that you need to define your values and you do need to take a stand for something. Yep. Agencies need to push their brands to do that. I think that's the that's why you're there, you know. And you also need to help them figure out what their brand purpose is. And it's not just American agencies. If you look at the Kia uh, Super Bowl spot, I don't know if you saw it, like yes. the give it everything. I mean, they really lean into the fact that their cars are made here in Georgia. It's not an American brand, but they're focusing on the, the people who are making the actual cars. That's a very specific brand purpose. It was like, give it everything. We need more bravery. We need like agencies to be braver. We need brands to be braver. And that means it'll make the work better. In the end, isn't that what this business is fundamentally about? Yeah, I mean, the reason why this business is amazing is because you have the ability to create culture, affect culture, make culture, uh, and that's what you should be doing. And that's why we need a little more bravery. Brands and their partners that aren't pushing the envelope of values, and I don't mean political values, I mean values, belief systems, in the way that they do communications, that's a, a significant issue. I mean... The reality is brands are institutions, and we're in a situation where all institutions of any form are under fundamental assault. There is a real counter tidal wave against things that have existed, right? 
at their own peril, brands don't recognize the work they have to do to sort of reinforce what it is that they believe with. Yeah, and that uh-huh. also starts internally also. I mean, like even if you look at the Kia example at the headquarters, they changed all the branding internally. So employees felt like that was their new brand. Like these are the brand values who's we have to focus yep. on. And Susan Cradle said the same thing when she used to work, actually to bring it full circle, when she worked um, on M&M's back in the day, she said she walked through the Hackettstown um, headquarters at, years and years ago and she said it was just white walls and really blank and she's like aren't you supposed to be bringing joy to mm. people with your candy so then they changed it and they made the place fun and there were you know M&M's painted everywhere and it needs to start internally for your employees and then it'll reflect on the work you do externally so you get the full circle prize uh, <laughs> I've never had anybody connect the back to the front that well <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay, I cannot thank you enough. You are absolutely fantastic. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, We'd love to have you back. Let's do it. All right, fantastic. Thanks, everybody, for listening to The Human Element. Remember, you can find us anywhere you find your pods. And if you feel so motivated, please subscribe or give us a review. Thanks so much, and we'll see you real soon. Bye-bye.